This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Dan from Shares and with me is Laura from AJ Bell. Hi there. This week, we're unbelievably halfway through the year. So we're going to have a look at how markets have performed in the first six months, why you should plan a tidy death, how to invest your money for a house deposit, and what the most popular job searches are. So this week, we're joined by Charlene Young from AJ Bell, who works on our technical team. Hi, everyone. Firstly, though, Dan, let's look at what happened in the markets for the first half of the year. So what do you wish you'd backed and what is causing investors some heartache? Well, I've had a look at the FTSE 350 index. That's the, the 350 largest companies by market value on the London market. Um, and so if you think that in historically, you could have made roughly 6 or 7% a year through buying shares. So if you'd bought some of the best performing stocks, you would be so happy, unbelievably happy, massive smile. I don't know how you Happier can, than you've ever seen. Yeah, you. you can express this on, on a podcast, but if, if it was a video, I would show someone smiling. So, <laughs> um, so, so visual. The, An emoji. The, 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 the top, top riser is the media group Future. So you, that's 103% in six months. So, so, you know, doubled your money. That is, that is truly amazing. It's the sort of thing that I think a lot of people are attracted to investing because they think that they can do this sort of thing all the time. And it's, I would have to say this is out of, this is not normal. These types of performances are, are quite rare. So when you do back someone, particularly a big company, um, you know, they've done something very well. So, I mean, I don't know if anyone knows this company. Has I've it? never had, no. I was about to ask that. So it's, it's, uh, uh, it's a media company based in, um, I think it's in Bath, and they've, they've had a tough time in the past, and they've got some new people in and, and rebuilt it. So if you ever go online and say you're looking for like a new hi-fi, and you type in, what's the best hi-fi? I'm sorry, a hi-fi? <laughs> okay. Have we gone back to the 90s? <laughs> well, okay. If you're looking for some kind of technology, <laughs> uh, you type in, you know, what, what is the best laptop or something like that? And you quite often you find these articles that sort of say, here we are, we, we, we've done the analysis for you and here's the best one. So it's, what they actually are are just um, their platforms for you to click through and say, this is what you should be buying. And then this is typically what Future do. So they own brands like Tech Radar. They actually own what Hi-Fi. So Hi-Fi is still a, still a, um, a valid term, I think, <laughs> uh, in this world. Well, so they, they've had a really, really good time. They've, they've got their business model right. They show that publishing companies can still make money. It's not simply about the dying breed of newspapers and magazines. So they're monetizing the internet. Um, quite interesting is they've just been promoted to the FTSE 250, and almost to that week when it happened, um, they had one of these nasty bear raid things come along where someone published... What's a bear raid? So it's when someone... Oh, wait, you've explained this before. I know this. So you publish notes about a company that's quite negative. Yeah, so some, this, this research came out and said um, we've had a look at the company we think there's so much wrong with it um, and ultimately what they want to do is pro- they want to profit from a decline in the share price um, so that the bear raise is someone shorting it betting that the, the price will go down so they, they this 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 people called Stockview said that the market expectations were unrealistic, earnings quality was poor uh, and, then, and lots of other things and so Future just came out a few weeks later and said Mm. Well, by the way, uh, earnings are going to be way better than expected, and we're doing even better than everyone says. And of course, the share price is now back on its way up. But it, it, it's, it's a tiny company. If you backed it, it's now in the FTSE 250. So you know, congratulations, anyone who spotted that one. Um, what other ones are the winners then? Greg's. 
eighty-two percent. The in vegan six sausage roll still paying dividends for yeah, them. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, do you, does, is everyone a fan here? Or the, I am a secret Greg's fan. I've had both the normal it's not sausage a secret roll anymore. And yeah, that's true. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Charlene, and I'm a Greg's fan. Um, I've also had a vegan sausage roll, and it was very good. It wasn't quite as good um, as the original version. If you're a meat eater, though, it's just because I, I I tried it and I thought this is really nice and. It, and weirdly, I was passing a Greg's the other day. I thought, Ooh, I'll have another one. And they sold out. <laughs> I've been a couple still of times. They're sold out. Yeah, still not there. Whether it's a case that they just don't actually stock many in the first place. but um, To create more hype, you have to queue uh, up yeah. at opening. Yes. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Maybe it's a really clever tactic. It's like sold out, continually sold out yeah. everywhere. <laughs> well, hey, we're talking about it now. So giving them even more publicity. I've still not so. had one. Maybe oh. that should be this weekend's task. Yeah. What a we... thrilling weekend I've got ahead of me. <laughs> got distracted by sausage rolls. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the other big names on there are like Dunelm and JD Sports. These are both retailers. So at the start of the year, everyone thought the high street was dead. Um, and these two companies are clearly showing it. Um, and we've got uh, Games Workshop. So if you, if you like to buy small miniature models of um, fantasy things, is that, Charlene, is that up your street? Um, I've watched Game of Thrones. That's probably yeah. about as far as I'll go on that one. So uh, I'll leave that to the experts. <laughs> and we've had IWG, which is the company that owns the Regis brand. So they've had, they had a takeover last year and they sort of the offer and they, they fought it off. But um, the chief exec, Mark Disson, has been buying loads and loads of shares. So he, he's obviously very um, confident about the future. So they're, sort of, they're, they're bouncing back. I think they've had some tough times. So quite uh, a lot of these are stories where they're coming from a relatively low base or they've had... Prior to this six-month period, they've had a bit of a knockback, maybe, and they've now researched off the back of it. Yes, I think so. I mean, you've had some some companies like Knos and Softcat, sort of IT companies that have just generally done very well. Um, and even AJ Bell is on the list as well. I mean, this is the, obviously the company floated last Never December. Never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, that, that's... That's up 67% um, yeah, in the first six months of the year. But if we look at some of the biggest fallers... Oh, your um, favourite bit, you get to be Eeyore yes. now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is you know, this is a good reminder that when you invest in the stock market, it's not all about um, how much money you can make. You have to understand that you can lose money. Um, it's not like putting money in the bank where the worst thing can happen to your cash is that inflation eats away at it. You can actually lose quite a bit. So Metro Bank, down nearly 70% in six months. I mean, I do feel sorry for anyone that's been in that one and they, they've had loads of problems concerns about have they got enough money to do what they want to do and they've had some weird sort of accounting mishaps as well um, another one is plus 500 so it may not be that familiar to everyone so they do um, sort of financial leverage betting on the markets and the regulators been clamping down on that and so they've had a bit more of a tougher time and funding circles another one so this is um, small to medium sort of size businesses. These are platforms that you can go and lend money to them. And they've halved their revenue growth, growth forecast the other day. But they um, didn't long IPO, did they? No, that's, that's I think it was about October time last year. So, I mean, their share price fell dramatically upon joining the stock market. So from the start, there's been a lot of people very negative about that, that business. So, um, And some of the other ones are TUI, the holiday seller. I mean, I think it's just had some time whether you can blame Brexit for people aren't going on as much holidays or there's other, other things going there. And Into Property. So they own lots of shopping centres. So it's not, not so much a surprise. So they've had lots of tenants turn around saying, sorry, that can't really pay kind of rent that you've been charging us before um can we have a, a reduction on our rent and sort of they, they've been in, you know, having to make hard decisions about you know, do they lose a tenant 
because it goes bust or do they try and do something to help their tenants? So, um, And that's a trend we saw quite a bit as well because I looked at the, the version of funds for this, so how funds had performed in the first six months of the year and quite a lot of the losers in the investment trust space were real estate investment trust, but they were ones focused on that retail space, which I guess is a reflection of the tough time on the high street and, and businesses failing and landlords not finding it so easy to relet those shops. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, these sort of investment trust, investment property are all trading at um, below the value of their assets if, they, if they're investment trust. Um, and there's various people saying that you, know, you can have some absolute bargains, but I think that there's still a question about have we seen the worst in terms of sort of downgrades to property valuations we'll see but um let's move on to the next topic we're gonna we're gonna you know death and illness aren't really topics that anyone really <laughs> volunteers to talk about but but charlene's here she's going to talk to us about the importance of power of attorney i think you better explain what that is first before we dive in no problem dan thanks for the intro i feel like i'm bringing bad news with me but um i think everybody's kind of familiar with the importance of having a will and making sure people are aware of your wishes um you know should the worst happen but one area that's sometimes a little neglected um is is setting up a power of attorney so um a power of attorney is official name but really what it is is a written document that just gives somebody or perhaps more than one person um which is often advisable authority to act on your behalf so there's a few different types um, they range from the most basic type, which is actually known as an ordinary power of attorney, which um, anybody could affect, um, let's say, if you were going away for an extended period of time and you just wanted to make sure that somebody could perhaps look after some bills, or, for instance, whilst you're away. Um, it's quite restrictive in how you can use it and how wide-ranging it is, but um, it's very easy to set up and people, people do use that. Um, and you go right through to... Um, something known as a lasting power of attorney, which is um, the more wide-ranging um, instrument, if you like to use the legal term, um, that helps you set up um, a document setting out who you would like to appoint to make decisions for you um, from a point in time, um, or should the worst happen and you lose mental capacity. Um, so mental capacity, again, it's a kind of scary term, but um, it's the ability to make and understand at the time that you're making them um, important decisions about your property and finances, but also about your health and welfare and, and how you'd like to be cared for. Um, you know, as we've seen with life expectancies increasing, um, people are living a lot longer and um, people are going into care. There's lots of stuff going around with long term care at the moment. And um, it's a really good way of uh, letting people know um, having those discussions about how you might want to be cared for and then putting an official instrument in, in place should should the worst happen. So how many people are actually using these? Because it's obviously taps in to that topic around thinking about you being unwell or you getting dementia or all of these kind of scary, slightly gruesome things when you're older. So how many people are actually kind of tackling that and planning for that? Um, I think in terms of the number of people who are setting up wills, I think power attorney is a neglected area. I don't have the actual statistics on that um, for today, but um, I think we've seen a lot of work um, from the government actually in this area, um, actually improving um, the website for the Office of the Public Guardian, which is the official body um, that you register these, these documents with, and they, they have actually um, produced a really, really good guide um, for people who want to go online and, and have a look at it. it it's quite lengthy. Um, it's, it can be technical in places, but actually um, the guide and the forms on their website are really good to kind of give you a bit of a background about 
what lasting powers of attorney are about and how you can actually set one up. Is it? Do you think people should be nominating someone um, you know, earlier in their life? Uh, can, can you nominate someone early in life with a view to should something happen to your, um, you know, you become very ill and you need someone to do this, that they're, they're already in set in stone? Or, or is there a risk that if you nominate someone that it could be this situation could be abused by they taking over there? your finances effectively yeah I mean there's a lot of important considerations I mean I I do have a power of attorney in place um, because I've had personal um, experience of, of people losing capacity and trying to manage their affairs where um, a power of attorney wasn't in place um, so I'm 32 so maybe I'm quite young um, to have done that but I've set up a power of attorney that that can be used um, it's registered so you register it at outset um, but you can choose whether um, it can be used straight away or actually whether it can be used once you lose mental capacity. Um, so it's totally up to you. And um, it's more about having these conversations, and if they're conversations we don't like to have. We're only human. It's not a very cheery topic, um, but it's one that's only be going to become more important. And I think that the kind of power and the peace of mind of having a power of attorney in place um, far outweighs the kind of implications of not having one. That's so interesting because I think I always dismissed it as something that I didn't need to do at my stage of life and that maybe in a decade's time I need to think about for my parents who are in their kind of mid-60s now. But you're right, I guess there's no harm in setting it up now and it just lying there dormant and, and not being used. Um, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, um, the, the younger you are, you know, who you might want to appoint is a massive decision. Um, and it's a big responsibility for the person that you are appointing. Um, so it, one kind of tip I would give is make, is make sure they're aware of the potential responsibility um, of being your attorney um, and, and th have a conversation with them about the types of decisions you would expect or like them to be able to make. So in terms of lasting powers of attorney, there's two types. So you've got um, the property and financial affairs, and then you've got the health and welfare, obviously two very um, distinct areas. Um, but it's even if, um, you know, in your 30s, you, you're not sure about who you would want to appoint. It, it's about having that kind of conversation and thinking about it. Um, but a lot of people who do affect a power of attorney via a solicitor um, will probably do this at the same time as their will, or their solicitor will probably recommend that they do. So this is, if someone wants to, to talk to someone about uh, this process, they, they go to a solicitor, this is not a financial advisor who would be talking about these sort of things? Um, any good financial planner or advisor should be having this conversation as part of your kind of general financial planning. And you'll find a lot of um, people who give advice will have um, connections in the legal world that they potentially refer you to, even just to have an initial chat. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to go through a solicitor um, because obviously you will be paying to do that and you'll be paying fees. However, with such an important decision, there is an argument perhaps that um, making sure you get it right or you have these important conversations um, you know, with somebody kind of slightly out of the picture might be of benefit. So that's, um, that's one thing to weigh up. I mean, I mentioned the work that has been done on um, the accessibility of the Office of the Public Guardian forms and the website. The, the main benefit of that is actually it's driven down the cost, in my view. Um, so it used to be seen as something that was very, very high cost, and it did put people off, even those people who choose to engage an advisor and are used to kind of paying for advice, whether it's legal or, or financial, um, because it did run into sort of two, £2,000, £3,000, so it's not insignificant. Um, but the fact you can do it direct with the OPG has kind of brought, I think, some cost pressure down on that. 
So um, we've seen solutions set up online by solicitors where you don't actually have to physically go and see a solicitor if you didn't want to. You could do everything over the phone with a registered solicitor. So there's a number of options available. So if you did decide to kind of use all of that newer information that's out there to guide you through that process and go direct, how much would it would it cost then? So the registration fee is £82 per document. So if we're talking about myself, um, affecting a health and welfare power, lasting power of attorney and a property and financial lasting power of attorney, that would be £164 in total. So if you're talking about um, you as a couple, um, it would be twice that because you do these documents on an individual basis. Um, I guess that another point I would make is and why it's perhaps important to start having these conversations and thinking about it, uh, however morbid it might seem, is the implications if you do lose capacity and you don't have a lasting power of attorney set up and registered with the OPG. Um, you may have seen stories in the press about the court of protection. Um, so this is a special court that um, steps in in cases where um, people have lost capacity so they're unable to make decisions for themselves um, and there's no power of attorney in place. Um, so they come in and a judge will effectively um, affect a court order that appoints one or more people um, to act on that person's behalf. Now, it sounds a little bit like a power of attorney, um, except because you're going straight to the court of protection, um, it, it costs a lot of money. Um, and it's not just the fees, so there's a £400 upfront fee um, and thousands of pounds potentially in legal fees um, whilst you're getting this all sorted, it is the time. So I've got personal experience of this um, and it co uh, cost us about seven months um, to get my grandfather's um, deputy order all sorted and it was relatively simple in the grand scheme of things. Um, so it, it's obviously an important backstop and part of the legal framework to protect people um, but really, in my view, it should be seen as kind of a last resort um, if you don't have a power of attorney in place. Okay, well, so we've had a listener question, and we're going to have a look at that now. So they, well, they wanted to know how they should invest their money for a house deposit. Now, particularly, because the person was thinking, what happens if house prices fall, and would that actually have an effect about the market? So, so Laura, let's have a chat about whether first-time buyers should worry about the direction property prices when they're saving for a deposit? Yeah, so this question was a, a bit different because we've obviously covered before and on shares we've got lots of stuff around how to invest for a house deposit and um, if you've opened a lifetime ISA, some tips on how to go about investing for the first time. But this was specifically asking whether a first-time buyer, um, this individual was about 23, I think, and wanted to buy a house in seven years' time, so by the time they were 30, whether he should worry about the direction that property prices are going in. His logic was that he he thought property prices were likely to fall and so does that mean that he needs to change his investment portfolio to maybe be a bit more defensive if he thinks that markets are going to fall alongside property prices um, his counter argument was if I do that and markets do actually rally and I'm wrong then I'm going to miss out on lots of potential growth so it's quite interesting and, and a bit of an insight into how investors are actually thinking about it um, and I can definitely see the logic behind it I think Maybe instead, what this person should be asking is thinking about their risk levels and how long they want to invest for. So they've got a clear time frame there of seven years. That's a decent amount of time. We usually say anything over five years you can invest, otherwise you're probably better staying in cash or low-risk assets. So seven years is a decent amount of time, but you need to think about 
not necessarily trying to predict where markets are going because fund managers even fail to do that and it's their job and they fail to do that consistently. Um, you need to more think about your risk, which seems like kind of an obscure term and everyone always thinks that they're willing to take more risk than they are. I think a really good test is to think about how you would cope if markets fell and your savings pot dropped in value. Would you panic and would it be a real issue for you and would all your dreams of buying a house be shattered? Or would you take a slightly more pragmatic view and think, well, I've got another five years in the market. I'll just wait for them to rebound and I've got confidence and I'm not going to switch. Yeah, I mean, for seven years is, is pretty good, actually, if you're saving for a house. I'm sure, I know I've sort of talked to friends in the past and most people, I would suggest, have a sort of a, a two, three-year time horizon. Yeah. In which case, yeah. you, you definitely shouldn't be risking your money in the stock market. You know, no. Because the worst thing is you invest and the stock market falls and you're thinking, oh, blind me, I've got even more now to save than I when I started with. So, um, but yeah, I guess no one knows what the property market's going to do in in two years, let alone seven, do they? So. Yeah, I know. And it's an interesting question. And I think kind of reflects the time that, that his base assumption was that property prices were going to fall. Because previously, what we've seen is people have been saving for a deposit. They've saved 10% of the amount that they thought they would need. But in the five years they've been saving, property prices have gone up. That 10% deposit amount has also gone up. And they now don't have enough to buy a property. And you kind of end up a bit on this treadmill going nowhere where you're trying to chase property prices. So it's interesting that maybe that is starting to shift and people aren't thinking that there's going to be that massive growth in property prices. Um, but yeah, I think it really comes back to how you feel about investing, how you're going to react if if, if markets did fall. Um, but also how much of your money this makes up. Have you got other money set aside that's sitting in cash that you can use as a buffer that you know isn't going to lose any value? And can you take a bit more risk with this? It's kind of thinking about all of your assets as a whole, not just I've got this one pot saving for a deposit and what should I do with this? It sounds like that, you know, really on kind of a really good track though, like having this thought, like I've got a seven year time horizon, having a really kind of sensible think about how much they want to save. Um, so they're definitely, you know, there's lots of positives kind of there definitely. to think about. Um, but I totally agree. It's all about thinking about how you feel about risk and how you might behave if things start to kind of wobble in the investment markets, whether you feel confident that you could hold your nerve because of that long-term time horizon. So it's really encouraging to see someone sort of age 23 who's having those kind of I thoughts. And I wish I actually, was that savvy at 23. I know, <laughs> and actually, you know, saying, taking a long-term view um, and saying, right, I'm going to invest in it seven years because I agree with you, Dan, like a lot of people, once they make this decision or they've got this desire, everybody's saying you should get on the property ladder, normally talking about two or three years, which, you know, as we said you should should not be uh, relying on the stock market for that yeah term. and I think one of the other um, tips that we'd offer out is um, using regular savings so this person was talking about using their lifetime ISA which has a £4,000 limit each year um, so rather than depositing £4,000 into the market at one point in time split that up into monthly payments annoyingly that doesn't split evenly into 12 monthly payments it's £333.33 but splitting it up into those monthly deposits and so then you're you're kind of evening out as markets go up and down through the year you're evening out when you buy in is a, a good tactic for people that are a bit worried about volatility in the markets or markets going up and down. Absolutely. And just one final point before we go. I had a very strange sort of press release come into my inbox. Um, and it was talking about the most searched for jobs in the world. Um, 
Let's uh, quiz Charlene. Yeah, I was just, I was Greg's just thinking sausage that. roll taster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Is that what you're searching every morning? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's split into sort of three sections. One is looking at the UK, one's Europe, and one's sort of the whole world. Let, let's uh, we just focus on the UK. So, Charlene, what do you think is the most searched for job on the internet? Oh, my gosh, I've got no idea. I mean, there's question marks whether it's a job that we've seen a lot written about influencers and social media kind of yeah, personalities of late. And uh, I'm sort of thinking of Love Island there. Um, it seems to be a, a collective of those people, but whether or not that's actually a job or it's made it on the list. Well, I could, it, it, they, are, they are actual sort of professions rather than... Um, We're going to get not such sure. a backlash from influencers now. Yeah. You've yeah. said that they're not an actual profession. <laughs> Insta. Maybe it's, like a, a doctor or a lawyer. That would. Well, that's what I thought. And I, yeah. I was thinking... You know, it would be sort of the the obvious things. Obviously, people are attracted to being a doctor because I think there's the assumption that they get paid very well, and we all we all know that there's a shortage of doctors. So you think that there's going to be a job there, don't you? But it's actually a teaching assistant, um, considerably almost three times as much, uh, pe- three times as many people search for that than the second one, which is an, an estate agent. I'm sorry, I'm so I've got friends who work in this industry, but. It's not one that I would aspire to work into. So. <laughs> yeah, it's not about the best reputation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just honest. really surprised that it's one of the most Googled jobs. Yeah. yeah. I want to be an estate agent. And so. also, number four on the list, prison officer, which I did not think many people would be hunting out. I mean, there's such a shortage of prison officers because not many people wants to do that job. Does it, is it a reflection of growing crime in this country? There's more opportunities, more prison for, for prison. I don't know. I don't know the answer. But other things on the list do include photographer, though. So there is an assumption that could you, if I was skilled in how to take pictures for Instagram for the uh, social influencers, <laughs> there may be a link there. I'm not so sure. Um, and things like social worker and counsellors. So it's it's quite interesting. I I would have thought kind of vocational stuff like yeah. in there as well, which is kind of nice to see. But <laughs> so in in overall in the world, um, mechanical um, sort of style job is is the number one in the world, followed by an accountant. So I, I guess that's a bit more, um, you know, what I, perhaps things I would have expected. You know, sort of, um, the sensible side maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess it's a list of jobs that we could all aspire to do if everything goes wrong here with the podcast. Yes. So thanks a lot for listening this week. Send in any questions that you have and we'll cover them like the one that we did this week. Um, Just email podcast at ajbell.co.uk and we will see you next week. Thanks. Goodbye. Thanks for having me. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.